0: had another name it's, it's you probably know it by this name in the new testament this is pentecost same feast why is it called pentecost well that's the greek word for 50 It says 50 days after passover so whether you call it the feast of weeks or the day of first fruits or pentecost that was the second festival so israel would come back together in jerusalem for that 50 days after passover so it'd be like what like late may june ish and then they'd all depart again and then there was a final feast, and look down uh, back at verse 16. It was called the Feast of Tabernacles. And, and that one was later in the year. That was like late September into October. You know, you see that in verse 13. Celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days after you've gathered the produce of your threshing floor and your wine press. So everything else the Israelites were harvesting all throughout the year after the wheat and stuff. Finally, there would be this festival at the end of the year, like in September or October, and that was like the, the grand finale where they would, they would celebrate everything that God had given them all throughout the year. It was kind of like their thanks version of Thanksgiving, whereas the final harvest, autumn celebration, seven-day party, as they all celebrated God's provision and faithfulness to them that year. So, so these were the three feasts. Every year, all the Israelites had to come three times to Jerusalem at Passover and Leavened Bread, at the Feast of Weeks, which was also the Day of Firstfruits, which was also Pentecost. And then finally, the last feast, uh, the Feast of Tabernacles. We'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, also known as the Feast of Ingathering. And in fact, this one is so big, it's just called the Feast. So you know, sometimes they'll just refer to this as the Feast. are going to the Feast because it's the big one at the end of the year. So those were the Feasts. But I want to sort of push a little further and ask the question, what does it mean? I mean, why, why did they have these feasts, you know? And and what could it possibly mean for us today, living in, you know, the 21st century, where we're very very far removed from an agrarian, harvesting crop kind of culture? What does God's word for them then mean for us today as New Testament Christians? Does God have something to teach us through these feasts? Well, let me suggest that I, I think from the text here that God had three, at least three purposes. For these feasts, there were at least three things that God was trying to accomplish by having Israel observe these pilgrim festivals. There were three sort of goals that He wanted to bring to pass within Israel every year. He had motives for giving them these holidays. And the first one is this here's, I think, God's first purpose for the feasts. Number one, it was a call for Israel to meditate on God's past salvation it was a call to remember to meditate to look back into the past and say remember what god did for us specifically at the exodus from egypt so so all of israel at these feasts was to look back and remember that god had brought them out of egypt that god had saved them that the reason israel was israel wasn't because they were some really sophisticated nation No, they were israel because god had saved them and made him his people So every year they were remembering, they were meditating on the past act of salvation. Look at the feasts. Start with Passover, right? Chapter 16, verse 1. Passover was a meditation on the Exodus. Uh, It says, observe the month of Abib. Why was Passover in Abib? Well, because in the month of Abib, he says, he brought you out of Egypt by night. Look what else they did. Verse 2. Sacrifice as the Passover to the Lord your God, an animal from your flock or herd. So just as at the original Passover they sacrificed uh, the Passover lamb, so the Israelites every year were to sacrifice a Passover lamb again. Again, reminding them what had happened in the past. Or look at verse 3. Do do not eat it with bread made with yeast. So they had to have unleavened bread, matzah bread. You know, they they ate matzah for seven days. But for seven days it says in verse 3, eat unleavened bread, the bread of affliction. Why? Why? because you left Egypt in haste. So they were were such a hurry to get out, they didn't have time to put the yeast in the bread. So that's what you eat those seven days, to remember the haste with which you left Egypt. And then you get that thing at the end of verse 3, so that all the days of your life you may remember the time of your departure for Egypt. So the whole Passover was like a reenactment. It was a a re-dramatization where the Israelites kind of relived... The the Exodus for themselves and remembered it that way. What about the next festival? Look at verse 9. What about the Feast of Weeks? That also was a looking back to the Exodus. You you know, it says in verse 11 that that during this Feast of Weeks, everybody's supposed to be feasting and celebrating. Everybody's included. You know, he says in verse 11, you, your sons and daughters, even your men servants, your maid servants, the Levites, Aliens fatherless widows and then he says this in verse 12 remember you were slaves in Egypt so so even as God had been very generous to them in Egypt and rescued them as slaves so during the feast of weeks everybody gets a seat at the table even if you're kind of a nobody. Even if you're just a manservant, even if you're a visitor from out of town, everybody's included because it was a reminder of God's including of Israel even when they were slaves in Egypt. So even that, the the hospitality of it was to point them back to the Exodus as well as the offering of the first fruits which we talked about a couple Sundays ago. And then what about the last festival, the Feast of Tabernacles? You see there in verse 13, celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. Why is it called the Feast of Tabernacles? Or sometimes it's called the Feast of Booths. Why is it called that? You, 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 maybe you're familiar with what uh, sort of faithful Jewish families do in the Feast of Booths. They actually make little huts. You know, they they'll make a little wooden structure and they'll put leaves over it. And so during this festival, all the Jewish people got together and then they made these huts, kind of makeshift lean-to. You know, like camping, survival camping huts. <laughs> Where they'd find palm branches and put them over it, and they would live in these little booths or tabernacles. And and we learned from elsewhere in the Old Testament that the reason they did that was that they were remembering how their forefathers, when they came out of Egypt, had to live in kind of makeshift accommodations while they were traveling through the desert. So, So all throughout these feasts, there were these reminders, very physical, tangible reenactments of what God had done for them when He saved them from Pharaoh and saved them from slavery. Whether it was the Passover, or whether it was the weeks, or whether it was living in little booths, there's all these things where kids could ask their parents, Daddy, why are we sacrificing this lamb? Well, let me tell you about the Passover. You know, Daddy, why are we giving the first fruits? Well, let me tell you about the Exodus. Daddy, you know, wh- why are we living in a, a, this hut made out of palm leaves? Well, let me tell you about what our ancestors did. So that they were reminded and they were called to meditate on the fact that God had saved them in the past. You know, God's people are called to be a meditating people. A fundamental act of worship for us as Christians is that we should be a people who engage in regular meditation. And when I say meditation, I don't mean... "om." <laughs> i don 't mean sit in a lotus position and you know, put your leg behind your head and you know say "Om and transcend your consciousness or whatever that baloney is I, I mean real meditation, biblical meditation, which is not an emptying of the mind it 's actually a filling of the mind it's it's thinking, it's cogitating it's ruminating it's, it's taking something, pulling it up into your brain and thinking about it. A biblical meditation is not a passive activity. It's a very active kind of thing. You know, it, it, I think you know. I think of biblical meditation. I always think of the uh, you know a, a cow when it chews its cud. I don't know if you ever seen a cow chewing cud or some animal at the zoo that chews its cud. You know, the animal just be kind of hanging out there doing nothing, staring off in space, looking pretty stupid. And suddenly you'll see this lump shoot up from its throat, whoop, right up into its mouth, and then instantly the animal will start, you know. And that's what meditation is. Something, a thought comes into your head and you start thinking. You, know, you, bring, you bring it up. You, you bring up something from the past. And so God's people worship God by meditating on Him. To, to remember what God has done, to call to memory His past actions, and to turn it over in your head and think about it is worship. It's a way of honoring God and worshiping Him. Because this is the thing about the God we serve. He is a God who has done things in human history. The God of the Bible is not a philosophical system. I mean, there's philosophy, of course, around the Bible, but it's not fundamentally a philosophy book. It's a God who's acted in history. The the Bible isn't even really fundamentally a how-to book. You know, like, oh, if you want to have a happier life, do this. I mean, I do think following God's word does lead to a wonderful life, but uh, especially in the end, But that's not ultimately even what the Bible's for. The Bible is the story of a God who has been invading real world history to act in order to save His people. God led the Israelites out of Egypt in the 1400s B.C. Like in space-time, here. Jesus Christ came into history around 30-ish A.D. And He really died and He really rose again. God is acting in history. So when Christians, when we're called to meditate, it's not—it's not like you know, Rene Descartes, "I think, therefore I am," as he sat in his foxhole, you know, during the war. You know, just kind of pondering, you know, coming up with sort of philosophical syllogisms that prove his existence. You know, but Christian meditation is about remembering the history of God's faithfulness, the God who is still alive, the God who saves today, and we meditate on that. So we're called to meditate. We worship by meditating. Here's one of the challenges, though. We live in a culture that's not very meditation friendly. To meditate, you you need time. But we're always in a rush. To meditate, you need a certain level of a distraction-free environment. But it's like, that's all we have is distractions. <laughs> TVs and devices and iPods. I mean, we're totally surrounded by distractions. We uh, sometimes we, we go to this restaurant down the street from us in Norwell. I live in Norwell. You know, you know the Fours restaurant. Uh, we, we go there sometimes with the kids. And the Fours it has about, I think, about 8,000 televisions. I think. Uh, they're like every. I'm surprised like that. Your table isn't the television. And so you go there with the kids and you're trying to have like a family, you know, lunch. Forget it. You know, because the kids are like the TVs and, you know, my wife's talking to me and I'm like watching a TV and then you're like, that's, that's that's where we live. That's like our, our world is so many opportunities for distraction, but to meditate, it takes time. It takes thoughtfulness. You have to, to let your brain work and it's an act of worship to the Lord. So God wanted Israel to meditate. And he wanted them to drop everything three times a year. Y'all get together in Jerusalem. And we're going to think about what God has done for us. And, and we need to do the same. Uh, has God called us as a church to, uh, to holidays, to, to meditate? What, what are the holidays in the New Testament? Did God give holidays to the New Testament church? As far as I can tell, there's one. We have one holiday. And uh, do, you know, can you think, what, what's the New Testament holiday? It's called Sunday. (laughs) Or as it's it's talked about in the New Testament, it's the Lord's Day. From what we can tell, it appears that even though Christians met lots of different times, they seemed to set aside the Lord's Day, Sunday, to to get together and and meditate and, and talk and celebrate and worship. And that's when Christians got together. So the Sabbath of the Old Testament and the Old Covenant gave way to the Lord's Day of the New Covenant because Jesus would risen from the dead. And so his resurrection reformatted everything. The resurrection of Jesus has completely reframed the entirety of our experience as Christians. So even the day when we gather. So every every Sunday is Easter. You know, We're not called to celebrate Easter in the Bible except that every Sunday is Easter because every, day is, every Sunday is the resurrection. We celebrate Jesus risen from the dead. Nothing wrong with celebrating Easter, but... You know, Christ calls us to a weekly gathering. And so we gather here in church. And what do we do in church? Well, a lot of different things. But I think one of the things we do in church is we meditate. You know, we listen to a sermon. Why do we do that? Well, it's, this is an activity not only in proclamation, but kind of like group meditation. That sounds like really new agey, doesn't it? But, uh, I mean, this is group meditation. We're all cogitating and ruminating on God's Word. Listening to a sermon is not a passive activity. It is an active engagement of worship. You are worshiping God when you listen to God's Word being read or taught and your brain is, is taking it apart and meditating. That is worship. You're worshiping God through meditation. We, we uh, gather to, to remember what He did for us through baptism. When someone is baptized and they're put under the water And then bring them up out of the water. It's a picture of our old life being buried with Christ and the new life in Christ. It's a picture of Jesus Himself dying, being laid in the tomb, rising again. It's like the Passover. It's a reenactment. Or or think about communion that we're going to have in a few moments. You know, we we continue to take communion. and, and, And what is it? The bread and the cup symbolize the body and the blood of Christ. And Jesus said, every time you do this, do this in remembrance of me, so it's a time to remember you know wh- one of the uh, the kind of funny things, at least the way we do communion here is is we'll pass out the elements to you and, and near the end of the service, and it's very quiet, you know this this uh, during the passing of the bread, we don't do anything. It's just kind of sit quietly and it's like when's the last time you sat with a couple hundred people in a room, totally quietly holding a piece of bread, you know those little like crunchy wafer things like it's kind of weird. like why do we do that? Why do we sit quietly in a room like that? We're meditating in the biblical sense. It is, it is an act of worship. It, it looks like just a bunch of people being quiet in a the room. There is intense worship taking place as we glorify God by thinking back of what Christ did for me, of how Christ shed His blood for me. It's very powerful when you think about it that way. And so let us be a meditating people. Just as the Israelites were called to meditate on their past salvation We have the cross. We have such a greater salvation upon which to reflect. And that's what we do. But just moving on here, the the second purpose for these three feasts, one was a past look. It it was a, a meditation on past salvation. The three feasts were also a call to celebrate God's present provision. So it was to meditate on past salvation, to celebrate present provision. Remember that these were harvest festivals as well. And so as harvest festivals, there was very much a giving thanks for the harvest. You had Passover, which is when the, uh, the barley harvest began, right around then. And by 50 days later, you had completed the barley and the wheat harvest. And so that second festival, people were bringing the first fruits of their fields as offerings to the Lord. You know, look at verse 9. He says, "...count off seven weeks from the time you put the sickle to the standing grain." very much associated with harvest then verse 10 then celebrate the feast of the weeks to the Lord your God by what giving a free will offering in proportion to the blessings the Lord your God has given you and rejoice so it was a a celebration of God's provision and then even that last festival the feast of tabernacles also a big celebration and thank you to God for his provision you know look at verse 13 it says celebrate the feast of tabernacles for 7 days after you've gathered the produce of your threshing floor and your wine press. So so after the, the grain was done, there were other things to harvest throughout the rest of the summer and into the fall. There were grapes that had to be tread and pressed into wine. There was olives and olive oil. There were dates. There were figs. All of these were the produce that came later on in the summer. So at the end of the year, you'd have this, sort of big blowout, like I said, sort of their version of Thanksgiving, except instead of just like eat one meal then fall asleep and watch football, it was seven days of dancing and singing and drinking and eating and laughing and being together. It was awesome, an awesome harvest celebration at the end of the year. And what they were celebrating was that God had taken care of them. God had given them everything they needed that year God just didn't save them from Exodus and say, okay, go on and have a nice life. Hope you figure it out. God was continuing every year, every season to give Israel what they needed and they were continuing to depend upon God and say, God, we need you every year. God is taking care of us. The Christian life is a life of daily dependence on the Lord. The Christian life is one where... One of our earliest prayers we have to learn is give us this day our daily bread. You know, the the Lord saves us. We come to faith in Jesus. We become a Christian. How do you become a Christian? You repent and believe in Christ. And then that's the beginning of a new lifestyle where we're learning to be dependent upon Him. And, And the Lord brings things into our lives sometimes that cause us to be dependent upon Him. Um, so we've been asking uh, about my father. I appreciate that. My, my father uh, is like a, I lose track now, like 18 year cancer survivor, but uh, his cancer has come back a little bit recently. So he's kind of looking back into the chemos and things like that. And yeah, you know, so it's really tough. But, but, you know, one of the things that encourages me when I talk to him on the phone is just his attitude of like, you know, I, I have to trust God. I have to trust God every day. And you know, the Lord's going to take care of me either way. And so it's just great to hear that. Um, you know, to be a Christian and to have cancer or to have any other trial, what that means is you have to learn to live every day in dependence upon Christ. You know, Do not worry about tomorrow, Jesus says. Tomorrow has enough troubles of its own. Depend upon the Lord each day. Just like those Israelites had to go outside their tent every morning in the wilderness and get some manna off the ground. And that was their food for the day. That's how it is. You have to get up every morning. Whatever you're facing, whether you're facing family trials or health or job You just have to say, God, I I need today's basket full of manna to get me through today. And the Lord really does, I think, send trials and difficulties into our lives. It's kind of like that song that the the Hogan sang for us, right, during that, that special music. That This idea that there are blessings in those trials because He's teaching us to depend upon Him. And so the Christian life is a life of daily dependence. Not only, though, for our physical and emotional needs, it's a life of daily dependence for, of grace so that we can follow Christ. You know, we need daily grace if we're going to obey Jesus and live a holy life. We need daily grace if we're going to really follow Jesus. Otherwise, I mean, we're, we're going to wake up and we're going to crash and burn in sin. It's just going to happen. If we don't wake up every day and say, Lord Jesus, today I need strength not to sin. I need strength to be a holy person. I want to reflect your character. I want to have the fruit of the Spirit. I can't grow the fruit of the Spirit. I can't just close my eyes and concentrate and squeeze harder and make the fruit of the Spirit come out of my life. I need your whole It's the fruit of the Spirit. So it's a daily dependence upon Christ for His grace to keep growing us and strengthening us in holiness. You know, again, uh, think, think about the analogy of communion. Communion is something that we take repeatedly. Baptism you only do once. So that's a symbol of the start of the Christian life. You died and you've come to this new life. So typically you do baptism first, then you start taking communion. Is kind of the idea. But what's communion? It's a repeated thing because it's like food. You need food on a regular basis to keep growing. And so as you're taking the elements, it's not only a remembrance of the past, it's also a declaration of present dependence upon Jesus. Jesus, I still need you. In fact, I realized today how much more I needed you than I did a year ago. I've come to know that I need the grace of the Lord in my life. And so it's a a call upon God to meet us with His grace and His generosity. And so we need to be a dependent people who are trusting in the Lord every day. And that's why we get together then as we celebrate His provision. We get together as a church to remember and meditate on His past salvation. And we get together as a church to celebrate His present provision. We meet every Sunday. We sing songs. Sometimes we clap our hands. We're, we're here praising God with our voices. We put things in the offering plate just like the Israelites said, thank you, God, for providing for me. And they put things in you know, offerings to the Lord. It's, it's a big thank you. It's a celebration. So we need to not only be kind of a, a reflective, somber, meditative people. We also need to be a joyful, celebrating people who are celebrating his constant provision in our lives. But then let's just look quickly at the last purpose of these festivals. Not only were they a call to meditate on past salvation and a call to celebrate present provision, but I think they were also sort of a pointer to anticipate God's greater salvation that was yet to come. So it, it was to meditate and celebrate, but also to anticipate, to remember, to rejoice, and also to be ready. For something that God was going to do in the future. And specifically, all of these festivals pointed forward to the Lord Jesus Christ. All of these festivals were prefigurements, foreshadowings, harbingers, types of Jesus who was coming. They they all looked ahead to Christ. Christ was embedded and hidden within those festivals. You you know, there's an old saying uh, about the Old and New Testaments. That that the uh, you know the, the the old is in the new revealed and the new is in the old concealed and so it's true Christ is like sort of hidden in the womb of the Old Testament and in these festivals and finally when he's born all of these festivals come to light in him. Can you think about where Jesus is in these festivals? Can you see Jesus in the Passover? He's all over the Passover. The Passover lamb that was blood was shed to save the Israelites from God's judgment and, and rescue them. The blood of Christ, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus was, he died on the cross on what day? On Passover. You know? and, and he rescues us. From judgment. You know, just as those Israelites went to the doorframe of their house in the Old Testament and they they painted the blood of the Passover lamb over their door, and then that night they, they ate inside their homes and God's judgment came throughout Egypt and everyone who was not under the blood of the Passover lamb came underneath the wrath and judgment of God. Well, that's how it is today. You know, God's judgment is coming against this world. And the only safe place is under the blood of the lamb. If you're not under the blood of the Lamb, your, your guilt is still upon you. God's judgment is coming. You're like an exposed Egyptian. You need to get under the blood of the Lamb with, with the people of God and trust in Christ to forgive you and to, and to cleanse you. You know, God's, God's judgment is coming. The, the, the predator drone of judgment has you in its sights. And the judgment of God is inbound against this world. And every day we live, it's coming a little closer. You know, everyone's kind of laughed off Harold Camping and his wild predictions. Uh, But, you know, Mr. Camping was half right. There is a day coming. We don't know the day, but it is coming. There is judgment. And so we need that. And so Christ is there. His death on the cross is all there in the Passover. It's so awesome. What, What about the next festival? What about the Feast of Weeks? Can you see Jesus in the Feast of Weeks? Do you see Him there? Think about Pentecost. Think about Pentecost in the New Testament. That was the great day that the Holy Spirit was just dumped out on the church. And Peter got up and preached his first sermon on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 people are converted. What a harvest! What a first fruits for the Gospel. The very first Gospel message and thousands come to believe in Jesus. It was a great day of harvest. And and think about this too. Why was the Holy Spirit poured out? What, what was it about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that that tells us about Jesus? Well, it tells us that Jesus was risen and that he was seated in authority at the Father's right hand. Because Jesus says, once you know, I'm risen in authority, I will pour out the gift of the Holy Spirit upon the church. So the Passover shows us the crucifixion of Christ and Pentecost shows us His resurrection and His reigning at the Father's right hand in authority as He pours out His Spirit to begin a great harvest. And that's kind of where we are now. If you think about the timeline of those feasts as sort of the timeline in the New Testament, we're after the Passover. Jesus has been crucified. We're after Pentecost. He's risen from the dead. And now we're in that long period where we need to be busy in the fields. We need to be people who are at work for the harvest. We need to be people who are sharing the gospel Um, You know, we need to be this is what missions is all about. This is what building buildings is all about. It's not to have a building. It's to it's to have um, tools for the propagation of the gospel and the growth of the church. So so that's that's where we are right now. We're in that phase where we're celebrating kind of the 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 afterglow of Pentecost as the Holy Spirit keeps being poured out on the church and the gospel has gone to Africa and the gospel has gone to Asia and the gospel is in Australia. The gospel is running wild around the world. You know, the, the gospel is going to, to reach the Middle East. All these countries we read about where all this chaos is right now, the gospel's going to reach there. I don't know how, I don't know when, but nothing stops it. God's word is going to accomplish its purposes. Until finally, the final feast of tabernacles. The in-gathering, the final feast. Can you see Jesus there? Yeah, he's coming again. <laughs> there is a final harvest. So this feast, we're all, even New Testament Christians, are still looking forward to. The final in-gathering. How many times did Jesus describe his second coming as the final big harvest? That's still to come. There is still a great feast that's coming. There is coming a day when we as Christians, like laborers in the field can stop working and finally celebrate and so as christians we're not only remembering the past and and celebrating the present we're anticipating the future coming of christ you, you know the, the church getting together here you know another image you can think of the church is it's kind of like a bunch of people hanging out in an airplane terminal we're all ready to go you know and whether it's one by one or whether it's Christ returns, does that all eventually happen? We're all ready to go. And so there should be kind of an anticipated, anticipatory, excited feel about being a Christian in a church. We're waiting for the coming of Christ. And even the Lord's Supper, it's not only a remembrance, it's not only a present provision from the Lord. But what did Paul say? He said, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. And so even by eating these elements, what we're going to be saying is Christ is coming again. And I'm going to keep proclaiming His death and resurrection until He returns in glory. So may God give us grace to be a people who not only live in this world according to you know, Memorial Day and Fourth of July and Labor Day and all our world's holidays. But I, I, I pray that you will also have, as Christians, running in your souls a kind of holy calendar that, that sort of overlays your earthly calendar, that, that just makes you think about time in this life differently. That you would not only see that the cycles of earthly time and secular measurements and American measurements of time, but that we would sort of rise above that too and say, But there's another time that's coming. There's another clock. There's another calendar. And let us wait eagerly for Christ to come again and be faithful to that day. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, make us a people who love to worship You by meditating on what You've done for us. Make us a people who love to worship You by by depending upon You each day and celebrating. And Lord Jesus, teach us to worship You by looking ahead and living our lives in eager anticipation of a coming day as we recognize, Lord, this world is not our home. And so God, give us faith to keep going. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's celebrate the Lord's Supper together.